Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast, episode 63. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. This week, we have a returning guest, Zach Meir. Zach is a financial journalist, author, and analyst, and currently digital communications officer at Big Dish. Welcome to the show, Zach. Hello, Paul. I was worried that after what I said last time, I wouldn't be allowed back again, because that's what normally happens. One strike and you're out. The door's always open for you, Zach. You know that. Especially with your... <laughs> so, is the, so is the window. So is the window, yeah. I mean, especially in this weather. Don't, don't do it, Zach. You've got a, a fifth, a quarter <laughs> of your life still ahead of you. It's yeah, gonna, right. <laughs> it's going to be an absolute scorcher, and that's the podcast. And that's, just, the and that's just a show, exactly. 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 Yeah, the we, are, we are on fire this morning. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, Zach, what, what's been happening with you since we last spoke to you? You've, uh, you've moved companies, haven't you? Yes, so well, lots, of, lots of rehabilitation and uh, lots of tablet taking, but uh, I'm currently a digital communications officer for a company called Big Dish. Uh, that's listed on the uh, London stock market. It's a, it's called yield management for restaurants. So uh, you basically, if you want, if you can get lunch at three o'clock at a fifty percent discount at uh, at a restaurant in Bristol, or you can get dinner at six o'clock at a you know twenty five percent off. You know, it's just it's basically. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's, it's been... filling out. It's filling out the uh, empty tables yes, at uh, yes. difficult times, basically. So it's a bit like they, they were going to do this with the cinemas, weren't they? They were going to have times where you could go and watch a film because you know you go at 10 o'clock i think they should i think they should do that they should that do would be, you know, be a big be, film yeah i mean it'd be it'd be great we should do that because it's like so yeah. does, does this stuff come at, at a discount to the regular price or the the peak prices then no so no so it's a discount it's, pricing. It's, it's a discount to the normal the normal menu price so it's yeah. just it's uh, so there's no there's no there's no hanky panky on that front it's just it's just whatever you know because you obviously you've had lunch at three or lunch at 11 uh you know, it's it's uh, going to be quiet then. So that's when uh, that's when you get a better price. Coca Cola tried to do have tried to do this with like sort of surge pricing on very hot days mm, through vending machines, but it's proven wildly unpopular. Well, I'm not surprised. Well, that's very, that's that. very naughty. You shouldn't do. Well, that. Is it, well, what what's the difference? Because all we're talking about is differential pricing. Well, yeah, yeah. but but I think the way people see it is that. If you can, if it's a certain price, but it's cheaper when it's off peak, as it were, then people understand it. But if they think of it, so it's, it's, it's a it's a it's a framing point, then, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. It's, it's Rory Sutherland would love issue. it. He, exactly. He, he would love he would love this as a as a problem, and it's um yes, it's definitely a framing problem. I I remember. Do you remember the the fuel strikes that we had? You know, we had a fuel shortage not so long ago. Well, a few years ago now. Um, actually, time goes so fast. It was probably like maybe over it's ten years ago. But but anyway, we had. We, I don't know if you remember the fuel. You're shortage. not. You're not channeling. You're not channeling the winter of discontent now, are you? No, no, not, quite, not quite that far. Not quite that far. But I, I remember. I remember it for two reasons. One is a, a little little story that I would tell you about. I was having my. I was having the, all the wood stripped off my my doors, and oh, oh sorry, all the paint stripped off my my doors, and I hired this company to come and collect the doors, and to to dunk them and to to bring them back and i forgot the name of the company and then there was this fuel strike that happened there was like no fuel around and so the company couldn't deliver them but it was basically pre-apps and i'd forgotten the name of the company and i, I was in this position where i thought if they don't come back i've got no idea who they are and so that was like one of those moments where I was like what an idiot I can't just can't believe I didn't write the name of the company down 
but it was you know out of the yellow pages or something and then but at the same time i remember there was a a, a guy uh, who was running a uh, you know obviously a petrol station and because of the fuel shortages he ramped the price up and everybody got so annoyed with him that when the fuel shortage was over they would just boycott they, they, boycott, they boycotted him yeah and that, and it, his business went they just folded so it's um that's the strength of feeling about pricing yeah. but something like this it's actually, actually very interesting zach because it's it's funny that it has never been done before but i suppose until you get the technology whereby you can have variable pricing because of course when you go into a restaurant you've got obviously the menu pricing um and you don't expect that to be fluid but if you've got the technology to present it, say on a, an iPad or something, where prices can change, I suppose when we get the big inflationary boom that uh, Tim's expecting, we're going to have to have things like that as prices change upwards so quickly. Well, well you well, won't have a you won't have a menu; you'll just have a chalkboard. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. What was the what in the hyperinflation period? What was that that quote that um, this this guy was com- well, well, the guy was well, complaining well, about it, his it, price of coffee? I'm sure you know it, Tim. Well, well, I know from because um, I've got a few of the sort of Weimar Weimar hyperinflation books, and there'd be a point where you'd basically order as much as humanly possible and scoff it all down because otherwise, by the time you got to the end of the meal, the price of the meal would have gone up yes. while you were eating it. There was a story about there was a guy walking around with a wheelbarrow full of money, and he left it to one side. No, it was it was a suitcase. It was a suitcase. Well, no, I, so, I heard it. I heard it was a wheelbarrow the, full of money. The, the, the version, I, the version I, I've got is the version I've got is a guy goes to the shop or someone goes to a shop and leaves a suitcase full of full of uh, rice marks uh, out uh, by the supermarket. And when he comes back, the rice marks are still there, but the suitcase is gone. <laughs> yes, that's right. It's uh, oh, I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I guess we you shouldn't. shouldn't laugh. You shouldn't laugh. We shouldn't you really. Laugh, but it's, should, but it's hysterical. But it is hysterical. So, so Zach, I mean, for people who, who don't know Zach, Zach is a financial market journalist and analyst. So although we're talking about restaurant apps, he's very much focused on the financial markets and, and has had some very good opinions about the market. One is that it wasn't going to crash when people like me saying it was. And the other one was your call on Brexit, which has been absolutely spot on. So well, far. Brexit, the Brexit Trump, well, yeah, the Brexit Trump thing is... Uh, uh, <laughs> I think that I mean, in a way, <clears throat> even though it was uh, it was it was something which was great to bet on at the bookies. I don't think it was that difficult because it was it was sort of saying that if you've got one, you'd have the other, and you, you do get those relationships in in the markets as well. You know, if if uh, if Domino if uh, you know if Domino's pizza goes bust, then you know maybe Pizza Express will go bust or something like that. You know, it's not it's not too difficult in that because they were so similar those two situations. Um, but, um, I think now we've got it, you know, we, we, I, I wanted to come on now because, uh, there's, you know, we're at such a, a denouement time, um, as far as I think, you know, the Tory leadership election really has everything in one, it's in one story in one situation. And I think there's, um, I don't know if you sp- spotted how crucial it is, but, uh, you know, I think, I think you can't, it, it, everything has come into this moment. We've delayed. Uh, the aftermath of the populist vote by three years. And, you know, at some point, things are going to go pop. So what, what, how do you think this will play out, Zach? Well, the, the person who should be prime minister, according to the flow of history, is uh, Jeremy Hunt. That he should really be, you know, he's, a, he's perfect. He's the perfect technocrat weasel for the, uh, for, for the EU uh, in the sense that, 
you know, he, he was, a, you know, voted Remain. Uh, he's, you know, he's slick, he's competent and everything else. He's a bit of a Macron type, I think. And <laughs> from that point of view, he should, he should win. Um, obviously, you've got Boris there as a the clear favourite. And I'm not quite sure uh, how this is going to work. But I, I just, I literally can't see Boris winning because it would it really go against the 30-year flow of history. I mean, you know, it would be, um, it would, you know, you'd have a, an alleged no deal and all the work uh, to stay in the EU, which has been there for the last 30 years, basically since Maastricht, uh, would be out the window. And I just can't see that. I can't see that happening. My favorite tweet of all time was a, a poll I did uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it was Jeremy Hunt, Cockney rhyming slang or Cockney rhyming slang. And it came out and it came out 52 percent for Cockney rhyming slang, 48 percent for Cockney rhyming slang. Beat that, Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Just to bring the moral tone right down. No, right down. No, I think that's. I think that's. It should actually have been even lower than that. But uh, you should. You should have actually mentioned the real words. I think. Um, but um, the, the, that's said... the thing I, I can't get because you know, <laughs> he, he is continuity. Uh, continuity may basically. Um, and I, 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 I mean, I was disappointed that Steve Baker didn't didn't stand because I think there's a there's a real hardcore of conservative leaning. Steve Baker fans out there who would dream for him to be involved in the next cabinet, which I, I like, think is very, very likely indeed. Um, the, the reason I mentioned Steve, do you know Steve Baker, Zach? Uh, all I know, I think, is his name, but I'll probably remember him when you describe him. Because uh, so I think I may have used I may have used this already. So because I keep repeating myself so often, I probably already got Alzheimer's. But the um, I, I'm I first met Steve in the flesh probably seven or eight years ago. Uh, he's the MP for Wickham, and he's also the co-founder of something called the Cobden Centre, which is a libertarian Austrian school sympathetic think tank. So sound money, small government, that kind of stuff. And because Cobden Centre are kind enough to republish some of my commentaries from time to time, he, I knew him and he, he knew of me. Anyhow, so we, 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 we approached each other across a crowded room in the city. I immediately whipped out my Krugerrand. He immediately, he immediately whipped out his silver dollar. And it was a very touching sound money moment. I can hear so, the music now. I, I know it's like, na, 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 na. Yeah, but there's no, there's no chance. It's too clever to be in politics. Well, that, well that's, that's it. But that's exactly Absolutely the point. Absolutely no that, chance. That gets to the heart of the problem, which is the, the best Dumb, people. The 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 best people yeah, the best people aren't standing. Well, yes. I mean, um, uh, obviously, we got that. We found that out with May. But the, I think the, the, pro the problem here is that, uh, I mean, it's good if you don't like conservatives, because um, if, if Boris wins with his no deal ticket, uh, the Conservative Party will collapse. And if uh, Jeremy Hunt wins, uh, as he's a Remainer, the Conservative Party will collapse. So yeah. it just looks as though it literally is the deck chairs on the Titanic um, and who and also mixed in with a poison chalice. So, I mean, that's something, again, which hasn't really been pointed out. I mean, it's a night. It's a disaster either way. With both well, I, 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 I just take <laughs> issue with that, with that a little bit, because as a as a you know, self-confessed <laughs> Brexiteer, the, 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 the glimmer of hope that I kind of cling to is that, yes, for sure, the Conservatives look to be possibly trapped in an existential crisis that the party may not survive. But uh, under Boris, at least, it's, it's probably going to give a bit of a bump to their, um, their electoral uh, fortunes at, at the now almost inevitable seeming general election. But more to the point, whatever happens to the Conservative Party, you've got Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party waiting in the wings. So there is a kind of plan B here. Yeah, but I don't think they have real the, the people when you know the people are not going to be voted. It's not they're a great protest vote, but they're not a real 
election uh, an election vote so i you know and also all that would do is just basically divide the tory party even more so you just have it between the lib dems and uh labor but the, so the, the remain the remain vote is as you say is split anyway so you've got lib dem versus labor and then effectively conservatives versus brexit party so at least as far as the most recent polls would suggest a two-party state has become a four-party system Yes, it's lovely, isn't it? Um, but no, it's just Labour minority government is what I think is the uh, the likely scenario, which obviously would cause. But it's something that you can't. I don't, but the problem is you, these days you can't actually vote tactically because you don't know how your vote will, you know, go through the system. And um, you know, if you vote Lib Dem, then you might bring in the Tories, and if you vote Labour, you might bring in, you know, I mean, you, you, it's all over the place. I mean, it's totally, yeah. you know. So I, I think it's a. It's uh, like an eight ball, I think, of some kind. You don't actually know what is going to, what the result is going to be with the same action. Um, so that is, but that, I think all of that really puts the UK into a, a really big, um, you know. I think that they've said Brexit uncertainty has been the problem, but obviously we haven't had any until we, uh, if we don't leave, there's no uncertainty in a sense because you know I don't think there's, I, don't, I still don't think I can't see the Brexit happening under any scenario. Um, I think that it's been a been something which has been planned for a long time and uh there is basically roadblocks on every single uh route um as far as anybody's trying to deliver brexit is concerned but, so yeah, I, I don't know if you saw it but douglas carswell put out a good uh, little youtube video during the week and he basically said this has been a coup um and on behalf of 17 the 17.4 million um i'm strongly minded to believe that if this doesn't go through we're going to have a civil war which when was the coup? Which which coup? Because it's been the, several. The, coup. The, no, the, the coup was that a, a Remainer rem, no no a Remainer Parliament and a Remainer establishment refused to accept refused to grant losers' consent to a referendum where the result was completely completely straightforward and clear. Namely, we voted out. The establishment has failed. It's done everything in its power to thwart that that outcome. And as a result, we're living through probably the biggest democratic crisis in this country's history, recent history anyway. No, there's no one. I mean, I think, well, for me though, the, the coup the coup happened in the, in 1990. That was the real coup. That was a proper coup in the way because this is like a negative coup with you know people just. Well, in you know, the way in the way that Thatcher was deposed. Thatcher was was all about. It was all about this. It wasn't about the poll tax. It wasn't about anything. It, anything else. It was just about. It wasn't about her going mad either. It was all about. She had to go in order to for the UK to sign the Maastricht Treaty. Uh, she would never have signed it. And Maastricht Treaty basically was our act of union uh, with the EU. That was it. And so for the 25 years or whatever we've had since then, it's just been, you know, we've only had Remainer prime ministers. We've only had, we've had no chance of uh, getting out because we've already joined. It's like, you know, it's like California leaving the US. There's no way. And I just can't see how that's going to change uh, in any material sense, because it is actually momentum of 30 years behind this, not just three years from the vote. Well, it's forty-five. Um, it's forty-five years if you include the original confirmatory referendum of nineteen seventy-five. Yes. Well, um, but I think that, that yes, but you had you had the wrong you had the wrong prime minister at the helm then because you had Thatcher there from uh, from nineteen eight you know, nineteen seventy-nine. So that made that sort of we sort of didn't notice it so much. Obviously, Heath was the most you know the most pro. You can see it now. It was the most pro-European. He's like the Ken Clark of uh, basically what Ken Clark was under served under him as well. Like a Ken Clark type figure would throw himself on the on the railway tracks in in order to prevent uh, or Heseltine as well. Unbelievably, I was always I was upset at the time that Heseltine had become prime minister, but now I'm 
quite happy that he didn't, because I think that would have been uh, uh, rather disastrous, given that he's, I think he's voting Lib Dem now. Mm. I, possibly gone a bit senile too, but um, that's a different matter, I think. But I think that the, the issue here really is, is the implications for, for the UK and how that will uh, change the stock market and change you know, the currency and, and especially the housing market. I think those, those are the real issues because so far we've been a, a store of value internationally. And you know where they might actually, you know, if 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 we uh, if we 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 can't really afford to leave because otherwise we lose all those all those aspects. But if we get a Labour government, then we're finished. Ster- yeah, we're finished. Well, sterling we will finished. go up, but the stock market will plummet probably. I mean, it's. I know you think sterling will ro- will rally in a, yeah. with a Labour government. Yeah, I think it will. I, I I I can't see that personally happening. No, I mean, I'm not obviously not a chartist, so I'm not talking about say technicals. I'm talking about if Labour get in. I, I see sterling crashes. I see gilt yields explode. The stock market disintegrates. The city disintegrates. It's it's like game over, man. Game over. Put well, the kid in charge. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a slightly controversial view that sterling would go up, but I just think the way the way the correlations are working, and if they continue to work this way, the weaker sterling is, the higher the stock market goes. So if the stock market would drop, sterling might rally on the basis of. You know, there's going to be no Brexit, so therefore, it would just it would just have a big rally. But I, I, it wouldn't necessarily stay there. I think the, the situation that it's you're just I, it's just I find I find it difficult to 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 to, to have um, a strong sterling at the same time as uh, the introduction of capital controls. Yeah, well, I, I as I say, I think that it could be a knee jerk reaction. I don't think it necessarily stay strong. I think you you'd see a lot of assets you know, being sold in the UK, and then that would affect sterling, it would come back down again. But I think the initial reaction, strangely, might be one of a rally, but but not, not. I'm not talking about months, I'm saying like, you know, first few weeks. Hours. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, when uh, sterling came out of the ERM, you had like the stock market initially collapsed, and then everyone suddenly realised this is actually a brilliant thing, and the stock market went from down sort of whatever it was 50 or 70 to up 100 now up 100 doesn't sound like a lot but it was back then it was a massive move i mean that was equivalent to like up a thousand or more in the dow so knee-jerk reactions uh, you know but anyway i guess we're a few steps away i I think taking the other way around how do we avoid boris getting in and then corbyn getting in i mean is do we actually do actually do we actually know that we're going to get through this particular uh, uh, sort of uh, crossroad, you know, junction in one piece or this roundabout in one piece. My, uh, so, I mean, I don't claim any any special political insight, but the if, if it were down to me and with what limited knowledge I have of the system, uh, if I were Boris, I would immediately prorogue Parliament until until we're, we're out on Halloween. And then it's kind of like game over, isn't it? Because it's, an, it's a fait accompli. Well, the markets would be like, I mean, the markets go completely berserk. And it would be like yeah, a cliff it. It would be like yeah. y two, It would be a, like a real Y2K. You know, the, all, everything would just go off. But, but, <laughs> but look, at, look at it this way. So we've had three years of, of what you might call electoral fudge. And nothing has happened in Parliament other than a load of Remainer bleaters whining on and, and basically being anti-democratic. But in the meantime, the economy is doing fine. No, so you, you can make a good argument for either a sort of no parliament or hung parliament uh, actually is, is an, an, an unalloyed economic good because it stops these idiots from doing anything more, more catastrophic. 
It's like the, I'm, I'm get, the I think point. it was H. L. Mencken who said in the American humorist who said, you know that you know that people people's people's wallets weren't safe whenever whenever government was in session. <laughs> yes. But what, so what? answer answer that and stay fashionable. Well, yes, exactly. Um, I think the, no, the other thing I, I was dying to talk to Tim about was was the Woodford meltdown. I presume oh, that you've I'm, I'm sure you you you've been through it um, with many other many other guests, but not, it, it not just, really. It's been relatively unaddressed, I'd say, to be honest. We, we right. didn't mention I mean, it, but yeah, but, but it hasn't had the blanket coverage of like someone like the sort of uh, the FT, who's who's really gone to town on it. They've kind of really stoked that aggressive piling. Having having originally sort of you know lauded the guy to the heavens and been largely no. responsible for his rise, they are cheerfully you know kicking him with the size tens you know all the way all the way now. It's quite sickening to watch, really. Well, I, I always feel that those sorts of situations are basically the, the FT being briefed by uh, the, um, Woodford's competition, so they, you know, yeah. they seem to be remarkably well informed in these situations. They're more than a more than a spotty journalist you'd expect to you know know much much more than a spotty journalist would know, but. Uh, uh, that's the mainstream media for you. Um, I think the 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 issue though with, with that is just again, uh, um, which you probably didn't realise I was going on to, but the the whole question of regulation. I mean, it just seems mm. to be so so you know that that the FCA just one always. I mean, just to a an incident, able to uh, close the door after the horse has bolted. Um, it just it, it's just amazing. I mean, how how do they do it? We, well, my, we, did, my, we did talk I, about this with Jonathan Davis, didn't yeah, we? And he said absolutely. That, I mean, that's the, that's the one to listen to because because Jonathan is a, an expert in in investment management, so he's interviewed the likes of Buffett and Anthony Bolton. So yeah, he, he I was just going to say that he he basically said that that uh, Woodford was more transparent than any other fund manager, pretty much out there, uh, or more transparent than he needed to be. And so and that's backfired horribly. It's backfired abysmally, unfortunately, because everyone knows what to short. Well, I, I, I guess, yeah, but it, but but what what exactly did he do wrong? I mean, this I, is... my my hot take on this is not a hot take; it's just a rewarmed take. But my my hot take is that, again: the FT did report this during the week. As far, I mean, as as manager of a usage as a daily trading usage fund myself, you know, the 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 the, the point about the, the the limits are the limits cannot possibly be violated, or it's it's pretty much game over. And actually, actually, I think this is the Telegraph may also have reported this. But I think as far as the funding question, the, the funding question is Woodford Equity Income, which is a USITS fund. And for the people who don't know the jargon, USITS is, is a U, EU regulation, funnily enough, uh, undertaking for collective investments in transferable securities. So outside the US, where USITS holds no sway, because the US is a closed shop to foreign fund managers, outside the US, the USITS is the sort of the gold standard for collective investment schemes. And I think for the fund in question, Woodford Equity Income, it has a hard limit of 10% of the fund's NAV net asset value in illiquid unlisted, illiquid slash unlisted securities. And what appears to have happened is that the Woodford uh, company has driven a coach and horses through the spirit, if not the letter of the regulations, because there are rather dark rumors that the fund has a massive allocation to illiquid and unlisted securities. Such that, for example, they they had some unlisted securities and they listed them on the Guernsey Stock Exchange solely so they could become listed. But they clearly weren't listed because they were never traded. But it was ah. this kind of like you know, aggressive, mm. uh, Basel Fawlty-ish, absurd lengths to stay within the letter of the law. I but see. it's it, it's completely backfired. So it seems like they've really gamed the system aggressively and it's gone horribly wrong. 
Right. Yeah, but why, why, yeah, but why, why did he why did he go into the analyst? Well, well I, 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 invest I, I, in BP and Shell. I mean, well, that, I think that's that's, the, that's that is that that is the, the point. So when we were marketing our own fund back, you know, this is going back four four or five years now, um, we drew attention to the fact that the then Woodford Fund was a long way from being value because it was trading on a really racy multiple, and. So I think what has happened is this this thing has become chock full of this this basically sort of semi-liquid or illiquid or unlisted crap, basically to boost the returns. But it's a long way from from the classic value investing that he used to practice at uh, Invesco. Well, in, interesting enough, I actually met somebody who's uh, has a listed biotech uh, company here, and uh, he met Woodford, and uh, he said he doesn't didn't know one thing about biotech at all. But he'd invested in like a plethora of biotech companies. Well, it's and like it's taking sort of lottery see, tickets, isn't it? It's like buying yes, lottery exactly, tickets, exactly. spreading it around. But so and this was like three or four years ago. So he was already, he, I mean, it's as if he was losing somewhere else and was then trying to. So this might be the, like the middle game, not the, you know, not the end game. Um, you know, so but let's say that there was a puncture, you know, in 2012. By 2015, he was he was betting on all the sort of, um, you know, the the, 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 the long odd stuff. And then by the end, he was investing in unlisted stuff, hoping he would go, go from one to 100. So it, it's sort of, you know, from a sort of gambling perspective. It's like, it's like Nick Leeson doubling down on the Nick yes, yes, yes. So in fact, the, the red flag is not the, not really the unlisted stuff. It's, it's just the fact that why was he so, why did he so much of it? And why was he so keen on it? It just it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. You know? But you're, you're right to highlight the role of the regulator. My favorite, my favorite cheesy quote on that one is that the role of the regulator is to wait until the battle's over and then to waddle onto the battlefield and shoot the survivors. Yes, I think that's absolutely right. But no, I, but the regu- regulation just totally, you know, it's, it's such a cost. And it's such, uh, you know, it's a bit like with the CFD and spread betting people now. It's just they, they've got it like cigarette package. You know, 75% of people who use this company, uh, you know, lose money. Uh, what do you want to do? You know, I mean, it's, it's like that. I mean, it's just like a health warning, you know. All, 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 the, all the regulator seems to be there is to impede business. And that's why I'm so, you know, I'm so anti them because they, they haven't saved anything. They haven't saved any situation or prevented anything. They just, as you say, they just walk on at the end. But to circle, to, cir- to circle back to where we started, the opportunity for Brexit is to get rid of all this stuff, have a bonfire of the effing regulations. Yeah, but they'll never and, and, do that. They, no, they just. That's but the they, thing they, 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 they may never do it, but that's what they ought to be doing because what? the idea of the idea of sort of Singapore, Singapore just off the sort of northwest coast of Europe seems to me like an absolutely fabulous idea. No, but that's totally outside the mentality of this country. I mean, I remember, it, I, I remember the first referendum, seventy, whatever, what it was, seventy-five, I think, when I was uh, nine years old. And I was thinking it would be. I remember thinking it'd be so good once we're in the EU and we get rid of all these closed shops and cartels that we have in the UK, which obviously was a complete joke. Um, you know that, but and also also to have the single currency, so you're not like you know going to within fifty miles having to change from Belgian francs to French francs to you know Deutsche marks and everything else. The idea then was was you know was was actually a very practical one to get rid of red tape. And um, you know, just reduce the burden on business and other people like that. But if it, if it comes from a uh, um, a let's say a conservative or a Thatcherite type of angle, then it would work like that. You would have less regulation. You would be uh, going the right, you know, the correct way. But we've had it from a social democratic socialist um, angle, where you're just you know you have a Kafkaesque um, uh, truckload of new regulations all the time and which are never voted on. So, you know, that's obviously I'm, I'm preaching to a Brexiteer here, so it's yeah. probably not much point, but the, this, it, what, this social democratic thing, what, 
wasn't on the horizon at that time, 40 years ago. It's, it's developed into this centrist uh, tyranny that we have now. But it was, I don't think it was there before. And I don't actually know where it came from. So outlook for the markets then, Zach, what, how do you think this will play out? Well, no, we've got the same, you know, we, I, I think as I, I've already said on the last time, I was said to everybody else anyway, we've got these, um, we've got controlled markets, command economy uh, type situation. So, um, you know, I, I love the way you, you know, you, you, you know, you asked me these questions, this question, and it's just more of the same. I mean, it's, mm. it's got to be more of the same because he's a, and, you know, I've, I, I, I apologize to people not interested in politics, but the problem is the, the markets are, are basically just politics. They're controlled by politicians. So, so, so you weren't so, surprised so, that the so Fed the, changed tack, so, basically. Well, 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 the, well the, the, but it, with low in, interest rates at these levels, whether they change, you know, if they go from, you know, 1.5 to 1.75 or 1.5 to 1.25, it's the same as it doesn't make any difference. It's absolutely meaningless. All it was was a maneuver to, you know, that the stock market was looking a bit, uh, a little bit, uh, uh, well, it wasn't even looking, uh, it wasn't even looking weak. Um, they're just trying to maintain the keep the furnace going um, as long as possible. But I don't think I don't think that the basis of you know I I, I don't think interest rates are a weapon anyway in in a, in a, a um, in, in this kind of economy because it's you know most most things are in, in a zombie situation the pr- the prices of of assets um, apart from obviously the the real estate area and one you know one or two others um, that we, we've we've had a stability here which has been you know unheard of. So I, I don't think their tweaking makes really any material difference. I, I think there's a, there's two sides to that. I think there's one side that says that the man on the street or the business that's looking to borrow or to expand their business isn't going to necessarily be so sensitive to a very small change in interest rates. But there is the other side to it, the over-levered companies that are trying to game their stock price who've been doing this for since the beginning of, of you know, th- this period of quantitative easing and, and uh, lower interest rates or historically low interest rates, um, those companies could well be far more sensitive to very small rises in interest rates. I think that's where it becomes interesting because we had a guest on David Collum who said that he he thought that there was a, a percentage of S&P companies at the moment that can't, I can't remember the percentage he said. Fifteen percent, I think. Was it fifteen? Um, yeah. he, he said there's a percentage of S and P companies that at the moment can't afford to pay their debt, which is so they're, well, they, they can't they can't pay the dividend either, so they're borrowing to pay dividends. It's which is which is ridiculous. Absolutely, I mean, come on, and that that's absolutely crazy, and so and that's and that's with the interest rates at five thousand year lows. And so, and what what you've got yeah, here? But that's what, why that's why yeah, but that's why interest rates going to remain the same. We're going to just keep on this uh, um, QE type of bandwagon indefinitely because we can't get out of it now. We, we're, we're stuck. It'll be ten years. So the, wor- so years. the world, the world's got trapped into a kind of J- Japan sort of. Yeah, you know, which, which I think X. I think uh, both of us. I mean, I'm sure Tim Price has said uh, Tim has said that for the last. You know, spotting that we've gone into uh, the Japanese model. Um, probably, I'm sure you spotted that in 2010. You know, nearly ten years ago because it, we just we went as soon as we got adopted QE. That was going into Japan mode, wasn't it? Well, absolutely. The, 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 there's, a, there's a line uh, a Japanese gentleman um, wrote to the FT, uh, I think before, possibly around 2010, if not before. And he said, you know, basically, welcome to the party, pal. That, you know, you guys in the West have been lecturing us yeah. about how to do things for years. And the reality, and I'm trying to remember it verbatim, 
the rea- the simple reality is that if you have a, a gigantic you know real estate collapse there is no alternative but years and years of economic indignity and that's a wonderfully sort of japanese way of putting it in other words you know, I would use something stronger. I would use something sort of 80% proof rather than just years of economic indignity. But the reality is, you know, there is no alternative. You're just stuffed. It, and it so was... we've had all this can kicking. And I mean, so my question to Zach is really, you know, so we're living now in a kind of um, uh, Potemkin village of markets. They're not real markets there. As you say, everything's controlled. Um, but that can't last forever. You know, at some point, someone's going to say somebody important is going to be the like the kid who says, but the emperor's not wearing any clothes, and then it's going to all explode, surely. I, I think the, the levers are so tight. I think it, it's a bit like, uh, well, it's a bit like waiting for Brexit. Brexit, we, we could be here in another 10 years' time saying, oh, it's going to happen just in you know, October, there'll be some funny date or this or that. I think, we, you know, it's a very strange uh, society we're in. We, just, we, we are very zombie-like, we're very sheep-like. And um, I don't I think, we, you know, Japan's had, you know, an extra 10, another extra 15 years of the zombie uh, economy. And, uh, you know, we can have at least another 15 years ourselves. So uh, it's the end of boom bust. Um, and you have to then just sort of see who the, who are the losers, really. They're, they're, you know, they're, the losers are the people who are on uh, minimum wage and on uh, subsistence wage. You have no um, assets. Uh, no and you're never likely to have them either. But, you know, they've got their iPhones. They can take a holiday on EasyJet. You know, what's, you know, what's not to like? Yeah, but the, the reality is they're going to have a, a pet. You know, well, they'll never be able to retire for a kickoff. Yeah, but it's not as if they're working in the coal mine in the first place. I mean, you know, you're just, you're just uh, you, these days you can do meaningless jobs with a, with a laptop, for, you know, indefinitely. So well, a, smart, a smart car news showing us on a daily basis. <laughs> exactly. <yeah. laughs> So, but but so, there is there is a point though, Zach, that what what you're saying here is is you know is right up until a point. But there is some evidence that the that markets are starting to strain in the U.S. And when you look at the Russell 2000, that's still way off its high. So the smaller cap stocks are normally the ones that show the distress first, and then it kind of spreads out like a, a bit like the weaker European countries' bond spreads will break out before it sort of comes to the core. So there, there are some signs, despite the, the obviously political will to keep, keep the show on the road, that, uh, that, that things are creaking. I have no, I mean, literally, I, I, you know, I have no doubt in my mind. And uh, it just, this is just going on and on and on. It doesn't matter. I mean, let's say gold poked up above uh, 1400 yeah. and uh, Bitcoin had a little bit of a rally. But, you to know, say the least. Be, don't worry, they'll be slapped down. They'll be slapped down. There's no, you know, it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, or even, even if Bitcoin went to a hundred thousand, it'd be slapped down eventually, be, be declared illegal or something like that, and th- that would be the end of that. So, the, the control there is so, you know, technology just equals tyranny these days. I mean, it's, uh, it is, uh, it's worse than you know the Orwellians could have, you know, could have predicted, and it's, you know, it's the, it's the, the unbrave new world. So you just, it, this can go on indefinitely it's not you know we, we, there's not a problem with continuing this really uh, people haven't complained about being on two grand a month uh for the last 30 years which has been like the nominal uh, retainer they haven't complained about the minimum wage they haven't they, they don't there's no protest either that's the problem with, with it. there are no rebels out there yeah but to be fair i think people will start to 
they'll get angry when the stock market goes down. Well, that's when e- that's when no, everybody feels it. The, no, no, the only people get angry. The millennials don't get angry at all. Well, the millennials yeah. haven't got any investments. Well, exactly. So they're not angry. The only people who get angry now are old people who who are the few old people left who remember the old days, which is like you know they're like 60, 70, and who cares about them? I mean, that's it. You know, so um, the, there's no. They've got everybody's been disenfranchised in the process anyway. So there's no there's no complaint. I mean, even this thing with the the BBC, my favourite organisation, uh, <laughs> the over the, the over 75s uh, getting having to pay the license fee again. Yeah. Um, I I paid I pay not to watch it. You know, it's it's awful, but. Uh, there's no, there's no, even on a simple issue, there's no complaint system. There's no way of complaining. Press one, press two. There's nothing there on that. You can't complain. So all you can, all you can do is sort of live vicariously through um, arranging a spurious protest via the government petitions website, which is exactly how I spend most of my time now. (laughs) Yeah, but yeah, but well, given given the way the parliament behaved over Brexit, do you think there's any point doing that at all? Well, absolutely. I, well, I, I, think there's nothing, I think there's nothing better than a, a, a grand, absurd, futile gesture. And I'm exactly the person <laughs> to carry it out. But... <laughs> That's exactly, exactly. It's totally what's I can't remember which of that. Uh, is that from Monty Python or something like that's that? From, that's from, uh, no, that's from Animal House. Uh, well, what this situation demands is an act of complete futility. I mean, it's also in uh, Blackadder, I think, as well. I think there's the, the, when they're in the First World War. But anyway... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it really is the age of the the you know, and and it's amazing that the only the only protests are these these people you know like the the Greta Thunberg person is that the the, uh, the climate change uh, yeah uh, girl Saint or, Saint Greta if you don't mind it just Saint uh, Greta of this I, parish I do, I well as I despite I actually I have to say I'm, I'm obviously going to be very popular but. I think that the problem with people like her is that it's very easy for them to identify the problem, but they've got no solutions whatsoever. Absolutely not. Zero. Well, my, my, take, my hot take on, on Greater was, uh, see if I can find it now. Um, hold on, bear with me. Talk with yourselves. France hits all-time record temperature of 45.9 degrees centigrade. In days of yore, our Druid ancestors would have tried to placate the angry weather gods with a child sacrifice. Ah, now you're talking. <laughs> um, <sorry. laughs> So, so the only people, the, the only people who who are able to sort of reach above the uh, uh, the masses are people who are effectively just there to um, soften us into um, paying more in tax. Those are the only people. So she's basically she's so she's brought forward to have lunch with the FT because if we do what she says, we'd have to pay more tax. That's it. If you do anything which is the which uh, if you're against anything which is uh, more red tape, more tax, etc. You have no voice. Or the else. only the only intelligent thing that Theresa May ever did was refusing to meet Greta Thunberg when uh, she rocked up in Parliament. It's the only good thing that woman's ever done. And even then, she managed to follow up by then <laughs> spaffing a trillion in uh, in cost of the economy on a this carbon neutral 2050 nonsense. This is a sort of farewell fu to the rest of the country. I mean, is, is the green thing going to go anywhere? I mean, it's it's, it's, it's impossible. You've got seven billion people. You, you can't be green. I mean, you can forget it. I and mean, it's just, it's absolutely, you know, unless everybody, you know, makes the ultimate sacrifice, there is no way we can be green. Uh, that's greater Thunberg, yeah? But, that, that's the person that's <laughs> just going to have to make the ultimate sacrifice. But on the, on the other side of the coin here, we've got, we've got diesel cars and petrol cars. Diesel cars, the pollution from them is, is absolutely awful. I mean... That was also a political stitch-up. Yes, exactly. And... We really should not, never have had diesel cars for how poisonous the, the the stuff that comes out of them is. 
Um, and so we do need some form of regulation. We do need something to stop this happening. Um, I, I don't think it's fair that the problem is pushed to the consumer. Like the consumer is told to buy a, a diesel car. It's made cheaper. It was initially cheaper in price to buy diesel than petrol. Um, you know, so businesses invest in fleets and what have you. And now they're being taxed to come into London, which I can see why you would want to discourage it because it's polluting the air and it's causing illness. But on the same token, these companies bought these companies vehicles in good faith and these individuals bought it in good in faith so they should be helped to buy an alternative and i don't think you know the the amount sort of subsidy that they get for buying an electric car is enough and it's we're not quite there yet so it seems to be that the consumer's always given the problem but there is a problem nonetheless we we can't pollute our air and our planet and and not do something about it and if we i i I like talib's view on this where he says that it, whether we know it's it's doing damage or not, this is a system which we don't really understand. And so therefore it's better not to do it than to allow it to continue. So how it's how it's rectified, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, to be honest, I don't have an answer to yeah, it. But, yeah, but Paul, you know, Paul yeah, but all, this, all this environmental stuff is basically to raise money. The, the diesel cars in London is to raise money. That Sadiq Khan, the mayor, would be horrified if everybody said, yes, uh, actually, I don't want to pay to pollute. I will just walk into work or I'll get a bike or whatever it is. It's all to raise money. The whole green thing is a money-raising, tax-raising thing. It's got very little to do with the environment at all. Same, with the, John, stupid if, plastic, same with the plastic bag thing. Same with all those things. If, if you John, really wanted to solve the problem, you would, you would make uh, public transport in London free. You would, do, you would make train train prices always 50% less than the equivalent car journey, you would do things which were positive. You wouldn't just tax people. If Jonathan, if Jonathan Swift were on the call, he would say that if you need an alternative fuel for cars, you should make that alternative fuel 16-year-old autistic children. <sighs> No, that's but that's a bit naughty, Tim. No, I'm, I'm just saying if John, I, I did give you the Jonathan Swift caveat, so it's all legal and above board because he was the guy that you know, basically have a, you know, the, the way to solve the uh, poverty problem in Ireland was for everyone to eat their children. Right, I, I might have to edit this bit out. For the first, <laughs> no, 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 this is, this is for all the first. this is all this is all public domain stuff for. It's I know, not, uh, I know, but I'm not comfortable <laughs> with that. That's in, like, our, in our yeah, in our politically correct tyranny, we're not allowed to say things like that. Unfortunately, a modest proposal. People should just Google a modest proposal, right. and then all will be well. All will be well with the world, and we don't need to kowtow to Mark Zuckerberg and Mr. Big in big tech. Talking of, right. talking, talking of which, have you seen the latest episode of Netflix, um, what's called Smithereen, which is based oh. based upon, uh, you know, face, getting to the Facebook executive. I'd, I'd watch that. It's very good. Very good. Well, is that Black, Black Mirror? Black or? Mirror. Yeah. 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 It's a very good one. Um, yeah. So, so, I mean, that's, that's interesting what you're saying there, Zach, about you, you think it's just a money raising regime and it's well, not it's got awful. nothing to do it's with all, it. It's all, I think it's awful. I mean, I think there's, you know, if, if, I think we've gone beyond the time uh, where the gov- you know, where, where governments or uh, local governments pretend that the, the taxation is for being green. It's just for raising money. And it, it literally, if there weren't, if people didn't come into work and pay the congestion charge and pay this uh, stupid diesel emission thing, uh, they would be ruined. The, you know, the county hall would be ruined. 
They can't be ruined if people just became pedestrians. So, they so, make so much. They make so much money from it. I mean, the car, cars have to continue to let's say to support the NHS. You know, probably I'm sure 10 percent of the NHS comes from car tax, fuel duty, et cetera, et cetera, probably more. Um, and, uh, you know, to pretend that the, the government cares at all about green things, or it has to have fossil fuels in order to raise uh, raise money. We'd have to have income tax, you know, doubling or whatever it is in order to make up for that. So um, it's completely, I, you know, it's just a time to stop being disingenuous, I think. If you, you really believe, if you really believe that, you know, the, 40, the temperature, you know, the heat wave in Europe is because of uh, too much carbon, um, the, the pay-to-pollute policy that we have at the moment has to end. I, th- I think there's there's also an element of this that we're talking about a a dynamic system when you're looking at the planet and its temperatures, and so a raise a rise in temperature over a certain period of time could be perfectly normal within its within its normal sort of ranges and cycles. So we don't know whether we we are causing this or not. It's very difficult to know. We do know that, um, I, I, unfortunately, or fortunately, I, I actually, uh, the, you know, climate, uh, the climate area was something I was looking at in the, from the early 70s when, since I was a kid. And at that time, they were worried, there was a book out at the time, uh, where they were worried that it was going to be, we were heading for the next ice age in the, by the year 2000. So that was mm. one bit of uh, rubbish. Well, e- economically, they were right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then the next thing, now we've got the global warming thing. But, uh, you know, we're no hotter than we were. Uh, in the year uh, 1000 AD at the time of the Vikings, hence the reason the Vikings could move around all over the place, because uh, the temperature became uh, uh, a little bit warmer. But then obviously 1600s, 1700s, the Thames froze over and we had uh, we we had all that. So we are we are are rebounding from a a very cold period, um, 1600s, 1700, the the frost fair. I think there's all that things of uh, vanity fair time or whatever it was, um, uh, maybe before that. And uh, now we're going back to what might be the mid-range, um, and then say at the time of the Romans we were much warmer, and so you could grow wine up to uh, Newcastle, which is why they had the. That's why they didn't go any further than uh, uh, the you know the border with Scotland because you couldn't grow wine further north than there. You have a tough time growing wine there at the moment. Does this mean we can get to play with dinosaurs? Yeah, that sort of thing. They're hippos in the Thames and everything. But that that period in was it the seventeen hundreds when the Thames froze over? Yeah. I mean, that was literally for months, and people were ice skating on it. And yeah, I mean, and also, people selling selling stuff. Yeah, yeah, and, on yeah, the market. The, and the Thames wasn't going wasn't you know the freezing point of the Thames at that point was nowhere near zero because I'm sure there was rather more contaminants in it in it than at the moment. It was basically you know it was basically a sewer. Yes, yes. Uh, so so for it to freeze over, it must have been at least. Like minus two or minus three rather than zero, you know. Yeah. So these things people have forgotten about. I, I, you know, I think there is a carbon. There's clearly a carbon problem because you've got seven billion people producing uh, carbon. Um, but unless you want to, you know, you want major population control, um, or you want to, you know, th- there's no way that that's going to be solved. So we just have to, we have to live with it. And but the elephant, the elephant in the room here is also that the single biggest energy source in the universe is the sun. And the idea that whatever we do in terms of whatever Michael Gove does in terms of banning, you know, plastic straws is frankly a, a drop in the ocean compared to what may or may not be happening to solar solar cycles and solar flares and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the other word, the the other thing also is developing countries are, are not so squeamish about. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, China, uh, Africa, and everything else like that. The, the single use straw thing, I don't think they're very concerned about that. I don't think they're paying five p a bag. Uh, for you know, for a carrier bag, etc. 
and uh, that's very unfair. Uh, and while you know, obviously, one has to uh, have higher standards, uh, you know, w- with greater knowledge. Uh, I think that uh, you know, unless it's a universal thing, it's meaningless. There we have it. So, what's caught your eye then in in going back to the markets? You mentioned gold's going up, and uh, is that something? You you think you would jump on that trend, or do you you think it's it's going to fizzle out? I think I think gold's going to fizzle out. I think it's interesting now that you've got. The, I mean, the most interesting thing probably is the the Libra Bitcoin thing, yeah. because you know if you're anti-establishment in any way, you know you lick your lips at the thought of of uh, of that become a Bitcoin becoming successful or Libra becoming successful, even though uh, Facebook. I mean, in a way, Facebook has. Has turned itself. I mean, this is a great PR move for Facebook because it's ter- it's turned itself around from being the uh, basically a spy center uh, on data to being you know part of the rebel cause with you know uh, killing off fiat money or potentially trying to kill off fiat money. That's a good point. Um, and so you know, gold maybe gold is rising because of uh, the Libra initiative in the sense that it's you know it's like if 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 uh, Bitcoin or that. Um, uh, digital currency become successful, uh, then uh, that the whatever's holding gold back, which is obviously there clearly is something holding holding uh, holding gold back that has been for for ten years, um, that the, the dam would bust there too. So it's that that I think is one of the you know the, there's two conundrums I've got at the moment: uh, gold and Bitcoin going you know breaking out, and uh, somehow Jeremy Hunt having to win uh, the Conservative Party leadership. Um, and so you, the, the things which are really difficult, um, but, you know, could happen, just like the Trump victory, etc. So um, uh, and also, I suppose, yeah, the fact speaking of Trump, uh, it looks like he's uh, going to win a game. I was... An answer came there. Answer came there. None. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, would you be tempted to open the Zach Mir purse strings to buy some Libra when it? When it's uh, available, um, I th- well, the, the, the problem there is that uh, you're you're sitting on something, and you it's the same with Bitcoin that uh, you'd be there happily with you know uh, a grand's worth, and then uh, not so happy there the next day with zero. Mm. Um, it could just it could just we're in it, we're, you know, it could just be banned overnight. But you, but you could just put it in with with you know like your play money and just go. Well, it's a, as as Tim said before, it's it's like a a lottery ticket. You just Put put some money in that you can definitely afford to lose, and if it hits some crazy level, then all well and good. But if it does, it, it is literally a gamble like that. It's like red or black on a casino, you know, in a in a, in a roulette wheel. I don't think in this in this type of society there's any way that you can have a an independent asset. Um, you know, the the least independent asset I suppose is real estate, and that with you know in this country with stamp duty etc. It, it's so controlled. Um, and so taxed, uh, and then with inheritance tax too, um, you know, you can't you can't have a freewheeling asset anymore. And you know, it's just, everything is locked down. Right, I see. And so you know, uh, and also have a, a capital gains tax on Bitcoin. Is that is going to is that going to work? Yeah. Well, yeah. There is there is capital gains tax. There is there would be on you know for anybody. Oh yeah, and I'm just dying to declare that. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I guess that that's the next thing. <clears throat> Show me your me. wallet. That's that's the next thing, you know. No, the... no, no capital gains on Britannia's or sovereigns, though. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's why they're not going up. <clears throat> well, I think they are. I think numismatic coins have been 
have been either going up or holding their value. And I think it's for that reason. It's kind of, A, it's because it's gold, and B... Well, I think I, it's, it's actually... It's, that's a good point. Alternative uh, uh, assets are actually, you know, the, the, the classic cars and the stamps and all the other... I mean, that that is still the way to go, isn't it? Well, there, there's, this, there's this feeling that we've got the CPI inflation that's reported and the real inflation that we're seeing... We're seeing house prices, you know, they had a bit of a wobble, but they look like they're going back up again. You've you've got what you pay for in the, in, in the shops just going up. And then you've got classic cars and commanding absolutely crazy prices, probably art as well. Those are all signs of, of inflation. Yet we, we've got interest rates at very low levels and we're told there isn't any. So it would make a lot of sense if if gold had started just to move up to reflect this inflation, but there's clearly some something's been putting its foot on it for a while. But this breakout on this thirteen fifty around thirteen fifty level for me that was the Rubicon. That was the level that it contained for you know the last few years. Now it's broken out. To me, that's very interesting. It shouldn't really come back to that level if this is going to be a, a move that's going to take us back through the you know nineteen hundred highs. So I'm I'm interested to see how it's how it's going to trade from here. But very interestingly, last couple of days, everything's got slapped back. You know, Bitcoin, Ether, and silver hasn't, still hasn't quite broken out. It's trying to, but it still hasn't, it hasn't got the, the momentum behind it yet. But there's still time, as Tim says. I, I have to say, I just, I would be really surprised if there was a sustain. I don't see that there's any real trigger um, to uh, gold uh, going up. You know, the Fed, making their move i don't think is that you know if gold's gone up it might have gone up in sympathy literally which is you know quite mad in sympathy with bitcoin but i, I don't see there's any other there's no change uh, otherwise i mean i think uh, trying to trying to get a grasp of the macro and the fundamentals is almost impossible when when you know as, as zach's made already such a, sort of a compelling case for the, the state control of markets one thing you could perhaps concede though is that I frame it the other way around that you could argue that, I mean, for me, the more important aspect of the, the current gold rally is that it's happening in almost every currency, um, which means I think it's got potentially got legs. But in any case, it's an opportunity to, to, to accumulate at a, at a lower level than where it's ultimately going to be. But you could I think you could make the case that the gold rally now is consistent, is, is giving validation to Bitcoin as an alternative currency. Hmm, I'm not sure. Oh, it's interesting. I'm just processing that. Uh, what we've seen is we saw a, a massive rally in Bitcoin when gold wasn't really doing a whole lot. So uh, I, I'd see it round the other way. Personally, I'd say that people have got into Bitcoin in, in the same way that they got into new technology in 2000, you know, run up to the dot com boom. And they just didn't really understand it, but just thought this looks this looks something that's game changer. Let's get in. And that's fueled the bubble and turned around. It's, it's, it's kind of raised the whole question of what is money. And oh, then, exactly, exactly. Uh, so it's go, yeah. go on, Paul. So I was just going to say, so it's, it's raised the question of what is money. People have looked around and said, well, actually gold was money or is money yeah. or why is gold just sitting at these levels? Why would you pay at the peak $20,000 for a single Bitcoin? And, the price of gold hasn't moved at all, yet classic cars have gone up by, you know, a factor of 10 or whatever it might be. And uh, it, it just makes sense. This asset hasn't moved. Let's just buy some just for the sake of it. In the, in the alternative assets, 
um, you've had the hyperinflation and the non-controlled assets, you've had the hyperinflation. Right, I see. So you see it as... But, you ha but, but so you have, it's just, you know, so, so in classic cars, I mean, you know, I, I think they're telling the truth. Gold isn't telling the truth. That's the, the, the real, you know, they're, they're, because they're uncontrolled markets, so they, they actually tell the truth. Right. The, there's, there's, a, there's a point um, I'd like to make. All the other... there's, a, there's a point I'd like to make, which is in relation to the, the, the framing of things. You were talking about framing earlier, because uh, I've moved in circles where some people have given an awful lot of thought to the issue of money, what money is, what gold is, et cetera. And there's a point they make that I, I would like to reiterate, that in every, in every element of science, when you measure stuff, the thing you measure has a, a unit that is completely defined. So, for example, we know what a kilogram is. A kilogram is the mass of a given amount of a given material stored at a given temperature at a given altitude above sea level in a certain laboratory in northern France. Okay? And that's what a kilo is. Well, what's a dollar? What's a pound? What's a euro? And the reality is we are using imprecise measures to, to, to measure things. So as someone very wise said, trying to, trying to value gold in dollars is like trying to measure a suit using a tape measure made of elastic. The only thing you can do is throw the elastic tape measure or wait until you've got something that, that's actually a, a, a fairer way of assessing the value. So in other words, to get to the point, the... I forget whether it's the numerator. I think they call it the numerator, don't they? But the the numerator, the the descriptor here is is not the dollar. The descriptor is gold because an ounce of gold, it, an ounce of gold is everyone knows what it is. It's it's the same in space and in time. So an ounce of gold is an ounce of gold, whether it's in London or New York or Singapore or Beijing. The the ounce of gold is the is the fixed, unchanging unit. And it's the dollar, the pound, the euro, the renminbi that are basically, you know, kind of meh to sort of uh, measures of confidence in one kind of currency or other. But it's all bullshit. Why? Why is the price of gold being suppressed then? What? What? What purpose would that that have? I I would I would argue it's because it's being manipulated by central banks who are still busily accumulating the stuff. Or or they the gold needs to be controlled because otherwise. Uh, central bank control on uh, fiat currency uh, would go. Yeah, because you exactly. you would just it would be you know you just say well I'll buy gold. What's, what's the point of having dollars when I can just buy gold? I see, I see. But so why would they but, accumulate it then if if they well because they, maybe they they realise that ultimately the jig has to be up, but they've got time to. So in other words, if if you accept my argument that ultimately this thing is going to explode, that there is going to be a an existential moment where there's a crisis of confidence in fiat money. Then it makes sense to have something that actually has been money for the last five thousand years, namely gold. So I think it's different. No, but I think it's different. I think they need to have they need to corner have all the gold so that gold cannot be an alternative to fiat money. They actually close. It's just like when a, a company buys a competitor in order to close it down. At the, at the end of the day, though, it's, it's kind of academic as to why it's happening. Yeah. So so long as the trend is happening, and more to the point, there is an opportunity for those of us who want to own the asset in question to keep buying the asset in question. So in other words, the central banks will never have all of it because there'll be people like me who, who have their own hoard. Isn't is there a risk though that they they make it illegal to hold gold again? Well, they, they, it's it's happened. So 1932 was it? Yeah, 1930 executive order 6102 made the private ownership of gold in the US illegal. I don't think a single person went to jail under that executive order though. Mm, right. So in other words, it happened, but so what? Well, that's what I expect with Bitcoin. What, what you, ex that's you what, expect? That's what they'll do with that's what they'll do with Bitcoin. 
You gets think? to hundred thousand, it's it's uh, it's toast. Yeah, I, I guess. I, I, I suppose you could. It, what a ride! <laughs> yeah. They'll say well, it's causing instability in the financial system. I'm sorry, it's uh, you're not no longer allowed to hold it. That that will be the those will be the exact words. It's a it's source of instability. So, it's so fascinating, isn't it? There's, it's so fascinating this whole thing because there are so many people who either see all the pluses or all the minuses, and it it will just be amazing to see the, the way. It, it, the way it plays out, I, I think as an as a tradable asset, it's it's great. You've got a huge amount of volatility. If you're a day trader, it's a day trader's dream. Whether it's an investment or not is another is another question. But it's it's definitely um, opened everybody's eyes to what money is, what money could be, and it's it's raised so many interesting questions. But how the authorities deal with it again, it's like there are a few there are a few challenges. I think that is definitely one of them. I think the other challenge is that you do get a plethora of companies. You could have Amazon's coming out, Amazon coming out with their own cryptocurrency. You could have Apple doing the same. You could have Microsoft doing the same. Uh, you could have LinkedIn doing the same. I mean, once it once this game starts, it's like, well, come on. Yeah, but I think Facebook needed a PR. It needed a PR bazooka. Yeah, uh, because it's really in the toilet. So it just it's like, oh, all right, we'll just get onto this one because otherwise people hate us now. So let's go for this, and maybe the, you know, we'll 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 get popular again. I think it was literally just a PR move. Well, and I they mean, might this even, is, they might even jump, a... they, they might even forget it after three years. If they get too much pressure from regulators, which looks like they will. They might actually have just have to abandon it, but at least they've had a proper, a nice PR coup for for a few months. But all that's happening, all that's happening here is a return to the past because this is how monetary money monetary systems used to work and paper currencies used to work. That there were multiple versions. That's so, so true. So you go back to the you go back to the history of the states, and there were all these different currencies floating about, and you just let the market decide. So if you, if you've got basically you know valueless crap. Well, you have to print an awful lot of it, and it becomes even more valueless. Whereas you know, so it's like Gresham's law: bad money drives out good, and you let the market decide. You had all different banks in the UK issuing their own currency, didn't you? Going back. Yeah. Well, yeah. even now you have the Bank of Scotland. You try, you try and give a 50, 50 quid note to a taxi driver in London. <laughs> see, see just how far you <laughs> get. See, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is. It is legal. To, is it legal tender here? I, I think it is. No, it Scottish, is. But who? Yeah, what, you know, it's just like literally. I mean, yeah. you might. You know, you it's legal tender, but no, nobody will accept it. <laughs> yes. Yes. That, there is that. I've had that in the supermarket. When, yeah. But um, yeah. So. So, um, so that's a very interesting point there, Zach. I think, so what we've got there is the litmus test. If Libra goes through, then we, we get a kind of nod to how the authorities are thinking about cryptocurrency. And if it doesn't, then it could tell us perhaps what the future of all the other ones are going to be. But the biggest challenges are definitely the authorities, whether they decide to make it illegal. Having said that, it's probably very hard to enforce, but... Let's face it, that's not going to be great if they do that. And the other thing for me is quantum computing, which we're on the cusp of. Maybe five years, maybe less, maybe more. I don't know. But yeah, but you're, I mean, you're, you're looking forward to that with, you know, sort of like, you know, it's, it's, it's a positive. No, I'm but not. I'm just I, saying it's a fact. It's but, just, but, no, but yeah, well, that's, yeah, well, quantum computing is another massive leap in technology. Yeah. And I do think that, that, that as I was saying earlier, the problem with technology is it just becomes an instrument of tyranny. And so there's more and more, you know, you know, probably with quantum computing that I can be listened to anywhere I am. Yeah, everything can be in cracked. the world. Yes, it's, it's... anything, any in the world, in, in the world. You know, I just I can be speak in the middle of a field and I'll be I'll be heard. I can't have any private conversation. You probably at all. can't anyway. To be fair, 
Exactly. And but, so but this is, we, but this we, is I mean, everything, the, everything is cracked. Everything would be cracked for you. So what would you do then? If you were the government, you'd, you'd create your own quantum computer. There'd be a race, a global race to create the first quantum computer. And then you wouldn't tell anyone you've got it for a while because effectively everyone would be running around with spears and you'd have a submachine gun. Well, yeah, but, yeah, but I, I, the, the problem is we're already in such a monitored and uh, uh, tyrannical and, uh, you know, sort of just this work. So there's no there's no analogy because there are all of those were from the past, the Soviet thing and 1984. They're all like they're all just amateur hour compared to the, the, the loss of freedom of speech and freedom of, of, of thought that we have now. I think that's much for me, that's much worse than the financial markets being in a zombie state. But the financial markets are a symptom of that. Uh, and you know, and there's no, there's no, there's no method or a way of of complaining or going against the grain. I think it's just, it's, it's incredible. It did it's, used um, to be the markets. Already... It did used to be the markets that you would kind of vote with your money. The markets were the only free thing before. Yeah. Now that's the final thing has gone. So that's you know, gold was a free agent. It was the most free and beautiful thing to watch. And I suppose in a way, Bitcoin is at the moment because you so yeah, it's got that sort of uh, that kind of movement. Um, but otherwise, everything else, you know, uh, it's all complete. You know, the dollar yen used to mean something. You know, you, you're, even the euro used to mean something. The levels mean absolutely nothing. And the chart, and in a way, many times the chart patterns now don't mean anything because you know. I, mean, I was just looking at the gold chart now, and I can just see the rally now we've had is no more uh, more uh, fantastic than the one in 2016, and it went back to, back down two or three hundred dollars after that. So, and I'm expecting the same now. It'll just flip back down just when everybody gets excited. Um, it just, you know, it's a controlled market. And so it's just pegged at a certain level, twelve, thirteen hundred dollars And that's it. A trading rate, a bit like the ERM. We know that was the, the, that was the another, that was the start of the whole thing, actually, the controlled uh, currency um, mechanism. Um, so, you know, since then, well, that's all we've had. I mean, the dollar yen is in the same range. Pound is, how can the pound be in such a tight range when it's the most uncertain time in the UK's history? Very it's a con controlled market. But this is only going back to what we've seen before. It just shows there's nothing new under the sun because Roosevelt used to have breakfast and, and chat with an advisor and say, so what do, you th what do we think the price of gold should be today? And then they'd fix it. <laughs> fix it over their coffee and toast. Those are the days. That's what we should be doing. We, why don't they, they should ask us what the value should be. To be fair, there is, there is, how does the mechanics of gold pricing work today? Because there is a gold fix, isn't there, every, at a certain time? Blue is in the name. Well, yeah. Do you know no, how it works, Tim? Yeah, so basically what happens is uh, investment banks short the shit out of futures. Um, <laughs> and then, and then they, that, allows their, that allows their friends in the central banks to accumulate the physical discount. Exactly, exactly. Right. And that can, be done in, that can be done to infinity because clearly, you know, paper money has no substance. It's not even paper, it's electronic blips. So you can short an awful lot of stuff and never have to worry about having to cover it. And if you do have to cover it, your mates in the central banks will print some more and give it to you. So it's a perfect, it's almost like perpetual motion in the, in the financial market. But cold fusion. It, cold interestingly, fusion the if they can do that though, Tim, then isn't that an, an argument to say, well, what's the point? Because you're just fighting against the system. No, no, because it's, it's, there's two gold markets, don't forget. So you've got, the, you've got the, the futures market, which is a gigantic con and everyone involved in it should be uh, jailed or uh, hung by piano wire from street lamp. And then you've got the physical market, which is the actual gold market. So the, the important thing for investors is if you're going to buy gold, buy physical gold, because uh, stuff that happens in the futures markets is one giant you know, amusement arcade. Uh, but, but saying you own gold through owning futures is like saying you're a, you're a farmer because you own cattle futures. Right, I see. See and 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 is there a a a 
difference in prices when you physically go to buy like gold when you physically buy gold do you find that actually the price is higher than the the futures well, prices I, that we see I on, think, on, on I, the screens? I think i think and suspect that the way it works is it's a bit like the you know, derivative markets full stop so in the same way that the the the, the cash FTSE 100 index is actually influenced by FTSE futures, then in the same way, the, 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 the physical spot price may be influenced by speculative activity between investment banks playing games with each other in, in futures. But again, it doesn't really matter so long as you keep your eye on the real gold and you know, whatever happens to sort of pretend gold, well, what happens there happens, what, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Uh, but the, where, where life gets interesting is when you have, I mean, I accept you know, Zach's point that the whole thing's being suppressed anyway, or probably is. But regardless of that, I'm, I'm reminded of, a, of a, a line from Paul Milecrest, who, who used to write something, and may still do, but he used to write something called the, the Thunder Road Report. And this, the, 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 the value of these words was not lost on me when I first came across them 10 or so years ago, which is the next leg up in gold will prove to be a religious experience for those people who find themselves to be short. In other words, there's a, there's a risk of the mother of all runs and short squeezes. And I think these figures are from the Reserve Bank of India, the Central Bank of India. But the amount of paper gold relative to the amount of real physical gold, I think the ratio is something like 99 to 1. So when there is a run on gold, 99 out of 100 investors are going to get disappointed. And I, when I say disappointed, I mean obliterated. Wow. Time frame or... I guess it's uh, good. well. Who knows? I mean, again, it's yeah. like everything else. So yeah. the way I would the way I would frame this, the way I would describe it, is it's like in relation to everything: the economy, the markets, politics, but particularly the financial markets, particularly things like bonds, which just no longer make any sense to man or beast. Uh, then I think the trick is simply to say: firstly, if you don't understand the rules of the game, then don't play the game. You know. So the the reference I continually make is to one of my favourite films, which is War Games from the nineteen eighties. Where, where the conclusion to the whole thing is sometimes the smartest move is not to play. And secondly, it's, to, it's simply to acknowledge that what may have once been a stable equilibrium has become a profoundly unstable equilibrium. So that doesn't help you in terms of the timing necessarily, but it does put you in a mind frame whereby you can assess that, okay, so here's the snow mass. Here's, here's, the, here's the piles of sand uh, on a desk. We don't know what's going to cause the avalanche. We just know that at some point, one grain will do it, one snowflake will do it. Yeah. And therefore, you, you invest accordingly. So in other words, if it's a market like, say, bonds, where you simply, it's impossible to understand the dynamics anymore, but it, it, it is no longer an investable asset. Buying a government bond from a grotesquely indebted government where you have to pay for the privilege of owning it does not make sense in any rational world. So there the issue is, OK, well, I don't want to play that game, but I will play something else. I will buy a blue chip stock if it's a, a decent run company on a fair valuation where the management can be trusted. And if that's yielding four or five percent and it's a claim on the real economy, then happy days. All day. So, get that all day long. Wow. So, yeah. for, for, so for me, the, the, the massive big picture asset allocation issue is, OK, which of these two markets do you want to play in? Do you want to play in you know, grotesquely uh, expensive and, and crappy quality debt? Or do you want to buy fairly priced, reasonably priced, high quality company uh, equity, where, wherever it might be in the world? And for me, the best opportunities are in Asia, notably Japan and Vietnam. But that's debatable, clearly. But either way, would you rather own a real asset that throws off an, an income run by decent people that's fairly priced? 
or would you rather buy toxically poisonous crap? I think I'd rather not buy toxically poisonous crap. If you're buying negative yielding bonds, you're guaranteeing a loss, aren't you? Which is just if you hold, yeah, if you hold to maturity. So who, who on earth would make that trade? Yeah. Well, answer the world's central banks and insurance companies, and this is something that Russell Napier has written very well about uh, recently. So for anyone that's interested, you can access his stuff if you're a professional investor through a, a website called Eric, the Electronic Research Interchange Company, uh, Eric.com, and his his piece is called the Solid Ground, and that's available for free. Um, if you qualify to, to, to get access to the site, then he, he's pointed out that with German bond yields, German government bond yields negative, I don't know what the precise figure is, but let's say half the German insurance industry is already bankrupt because they're, they're pumping out all these or they have been pumping out all these guaranteed return, guaranteed income products, and they're not getting any return at all in the bonds they're obligated to own. Mm. This is going to end horribly badly. And that's yeah. before, that's before, even before Brexit takes place. No, but the, 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 isn't the point here that, you know, the government's setting effectively a tire with a hole in it or, a, you know, uh, and, and, and nobody's, nobody in 10 years has said, oh, I've put this on my tire and it doesn't blow up and I can't go anywhere. Nobody said that. How, how can you have that state of affairs in a rational world? Well, well, how many people is Deutsche Bank in the process of firing? You know, it is the emperor. There's a great deal of ruin in a nation. You know, it's like a telephone with no battery or, a, you know, the, 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 these are being... It's like, a te- it's like a telephone that's not connected to anything. So you've got someone on one side saying, hello, hello, Mario, Mario <laughs> exactly. Draghi here. How can I help? Yeah, but there's in, nothing on the other end of the line. No, in, real, in, real life, in real life, this would be a problem. But in the financial markets, it's not a problem. Why is that? It's mainly because the most people are sensitive to stock prices. So bond prices, they they, yeah, really they never get reported. That... They never get reported. Yeah. you will never get a bond yield cited on the six o'clock news. Everyone knows where the effing footsie no, is. No, but the FT hasn't said. You know, shock news. You buy a German bond and you will lose money. Yeah, but the, but to be fair, the mainstream media may not be reporting, but there's plenty of people on Twitter reporting this stuff. So yeah, maybe the mainstream Twitter, media is yeah, already Twitter, obsolete. Yeah, but Twitter is just you know it's, it's pissing in the wind. I mean that Twitter means. No. Well, to be fair, Twitter also accelerated Donald Trump to the most important job in the world. So I wouldn't diss it quite that uh, straightforwardly. I think there's a lot of power to Twitter. But I accept it's a minority relative to mainstream media. But, you know, the pendulum is swinging, surely. It does. That kind of thing explains why we have a problem in other areas, that people vote for something and then it's not, it doesn't happen, or people don't vote for something and it does happen. Or, you know, it, it does explain a lot that, you know, the, 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 the most stupid people become president and the most clever people don't. And you know that if you're clever, there's no point. All those things, are, you know, they come, they stem from issues like that, where you have, you know, the, 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 the money losing bond uh, situation, scam. Um, there's no, we don't have any vehicle, any forum for logical thought or logical complaint. Well, what, is, what, is, what is this podcast if not exactly that forum, though? This is, yeah, well, this is, that's it. You know, that, that's literally it. But I guess what Tim's saying, the, the closest thing to it, it, the closest thing to it is Twitter, really. I mean, what else? What else is there apart from private chat groups and Twitter's? Yeah, Twitter's, but that's private. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't pack the same punch. No, no, no. But I'm just saying. But Twitter's the closest that's thing also, we've that's got. Like the gold, is, Twitter is like the gold market. It's yeah. basically controlled in such a way that if, uh, if there's anything good on it, you don't hear about it. You know, it just literally. It's, confined totally and now and again something leaks out maybe you know it'll get through 1400 for a few days but basically anything which is anti-establishment is lo- in, is in lockdown it reminds me of a, li- a line i was going to use earlier which is i, I saw this leaders say via twitter uh, and it was it was saying that uh, the left won the culture wars and now they're just driving around shooting the survivors 
Yeah, um, you I mean, see that. You see that every day on Twitter. But you know, I, I just, I, cause I don't. I mean, I'm, you know, I see, I do see Tim's, um, you know, tweets, and you know, there's some, you know, some good stuff on there and everything else. Yeah. And it, but at the end of the day, it frustrates me because I know that it's not gonna, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hit anybody. It's not gonna punch anybody. It's not gonna get home. However witty and however fantastic and however correct it is, and that is, you know, it's in the old days. If you had a met, there was a merit in your point. It would go somewhere. Now. The more merit it has, the more chance, the less chance, or the more chance it has of going absolutely nowhere. And that is just, it's, it, the, the world has turned upside down in that way. But sometimes the right thing to do is simply the right thing to do because it's the right thing to do, irrespective of whether it actually results in the change you want to affect or not. Yeah, but then you're being, well, that's a very moral argument. It's not an intellectual argument. So that's, that's well, I, think, I, I think I, I like to think it's both. But um, I think all we're, all we're really furiously agreeing on is that the mainstream media is no longer fit for purpose. Yeah. And I'm thinking about buying some Twitter shares. <laughs> there's there's got to be a there's there's a change there's been a change in the way we consume say you know tv people don't sit down and put the channels on anymore the internet's changed that and people have changed the way they consume news there's absolutely no doubt about it i don't know whether the, the standard ways that media or the news is brought to us make sense anymore i mean maybe what we need to have is is trusted independent journalists who who don't work for companies anymore they just work for themselves and it it goes down to you know their resources rather than than having an umbrella yeah, of they don't have, the they telegraph don't make any or money. Or they don't make any money well don't. i don't know whether maybe, well, I mean, it's, maybe it's, it's like it's like it's like everything else it's like you know everything else that the internet touches there will be one or two huge winners and yeah. yeah, a long, a long tail of relative or absolute losers. But that, you know, that I can, I, I can at least live with that because whether or whether or not you approve of that morally or, or conceptually or financially, yeah, you know, it's the way the world works. You know, yeah. the, the whole one of the reasons I have such take such huge exception the nonsense of the left is it's it's this focus, this forced focus on egalitarianism. But talent is not evenly distributed. People working hard is not evenly distributed. Intelligence is not evenly distributed. One of the most fascinating things I ever came across is from a great book called The Origin of Wealth by Eric Beinhocker. And it's an account of something called Sugarscape. And Sugarscape was a completely artificial, it was like a game. It was an artificial platform. I think it was like a 10 by 10 grid. And basically you had these little tiny economic agents that would simply move around, controlled by a computer in search of, of artificial sugar. And the sugar was randomly distributed, but there were pockets of it here and none of it elsewhere. And there were some basic rules so that fairly soon, if your little economic agent ran out of sugar, then he'd die. And then they added a refinement, which is that when people had a surplus of sugar, they can start trading it with the other people walking around. So my question to you both is, how do we think wealth was distributed in the world of Sugarscape? Uh, I can't answer that because I've, I've heard you say this before and it's fascinating. So I'm not going to say. But Zach, how do you reckon wealth was distributed in the artificial economy of Sugarscape? They had no preset rules other than the rules I've just kind of described. Exactly like the real world. Yeah, it was exactly like the real world. Pareto principle. So 20% of the economic agents had 80% of the sugar yeah. and like half the people died off. But that's the real world. So that's the real world, not the sort of fantasy world. You have a normal distribution curve of, of wealth distribution, the equivalent of that. It's, it's, it's as set in stone as that is. The, the other thing I would cite, because it's one of the best things I've read, and it's only a short document, it's not even, a, not even a book, it's more like a blog, it's a piece called Avoid News Towards a Healthy News Diet by a guy called Rolf Doberly. And the essence of it is as follows. I'll just give you the prologue, which is like 30 seconds or less. This, this, art, this article is the antidote to news. It is long, and you probably won't be able to skim it. 
thanks to heavy news consumption, many people have lost the reading habit and struggle, struggle to absorb more than four pages straight. This article will show you how to get out of this trap if you're not already too deeply in it. And the long story short is his next line, news is to the mind what sugar is to the body. News is toxic. News is wasteful. News is a distraction. News is dangerous. Uh, but then you go, OK, well, if news is the problem, then just switch off the problem. And that's where we've got to. That's where I think a lot of people have now got to independently or collectively, which is mm. the BBC is a waste of time. It's a shockingly biased thing and it should be put down, which is why my latest you know, whimsical petition is to revoke its uh, royal charter status and get the thing basically put to death, which is what a growing number of people want. Failing that, just get rid of the license fee. Um, but news in particular is just toxic. It's just poisonous. It's a waste of time. It's an irrelevance that makes you feel worse about the world. So the pragmatic solution is simply, okay, turn it off. And if you do want to get a fix of what you might call current affairs, then get it from somewhere like Twitter or some other forum where people of intelligence and articulacy can, can, can comply their trade, hopefully in a, in a fairly unintermediated way. Mic drop. <laughs> no, no, I'm just, you know, the, thing, the thing is that, I mean, something I noticed because this, um, this is the weekend of Glastonbury. And uh, if I read about politics, it drives me mad. If I read about finance, it drives me mad. But if I read about Glastonbury... You get Stormzy telling everyone to... No, 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 but it's not that. But it, that because What, it's what not, did he say? What did Stormzy say? Uh, apparently got the whole crowd to say, fuck Boris, fuck the government. Really? Oh, right. Well, I've, I've only got the BBC's word for this, so, you know. Yeah, well, Was that yeah. real or did I hear it via the BBC? They probably got it on a loop, haven't they? But straight, strangely enough, what I was going to say is when, when I read mainstream writing about non-political financial areas, it's actually very good. Mm. So the description of the best acts at Glastonbury or what it was like uh, at Glastonbury this week or the fashion or this or whatever, whatever's going on is brilliant. They, when, when it's something which is not contentious, yes. the mainstream w in media works fantastically. Yes, I uh, agree. What t TV to buy, what, you know, iPhone, what's going to happen with Apple or whatever it is, or, you know, uh, you know, they've the, the, the lost their, you know, Sir, what's his name, the guy who was uh, the, the British guy. Johnny Ive. Johnny Ive. Yeah, so, you know, that's something that's just, it's just poetry. It's like an, a eulogy of great, you know, this and that and everything. But anything which is, you know, Part, part of the government remit, let's say directly, then you get all the crap written. Then you can't read it. It just drives you mad. It's just sickening and everything else. They can't. Everything is predicted wrong. It's all. It's a total mess. But it's a, you know just just a few areas now that we have uh, the cracks in the pavement, whether it's music or the arts or or you know things which I mean obviously in the weather you can't talk about. But you know there's but there's so few areas now which are not haven't been hijacked by political correctness and by the whole. Uh, the the overall you know government finance agenda that we have. So I think yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. The, the one the example I would cite is one from the Economist, which is the the I can't, the, I mean, the Economist. Okay, it's just the, 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 yeah, the, the newspaper that I just you know, I, I read it I, I read it through clenched fists. And so this is Badger the Badger column. It's a guy called Adrian Waldridge uh, from the 13th of June, and he said the following is a direct quote: Brexit has acted as a Chernobyl of toxicity by giving airtime to the likes of Jacob Rees-Mogg and John Redwood. Now, I don't know about you, but the one thing that I would, the one word I would not use about Jacob Rees-Mogg would be toxic. As far as I can tell, he's probably the most gentle and, and mild-mannered person in uh, the British Parliament. So to, to call that guy toxic is just like, well, physician heal thyself. Try looking in a mirror, Adrian Waldridge. Yeah, but, Jim, but the problem is, you, you know, the economists, you know what, what line they're going to have. I mean, so sure. I don't, 
on everything. I mean, that's it's just so predictable. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know how they make money. They, they, they hang around tube stations trying to sell you, you know, their uh, sex their subscription. <laughs> oh dear. Right, on, on that note, I think, media, media picks. I think we should Surely go to the media, media picks. picks. So, Zach, you know the drill. You've been on the show before, but just in case you haven't prepared something, let's go with Tim's media pick and then we'll come to you. So, I will just give once again, because uh, I, I think I cited it in the last uh, podcast, but just in passing, just to say that there's uh, a reason why I use that Chernobyl thing, because the Chernobyl. Have you, have you seen it yet, Paul? I haven't yet. No, and I'm <laughs> I'm disappointed. It's, You've got just, to see just, it just before again, me. Just give you another another two thumbs up for that one because it's just a cracker. Yeah. But no, the one the new one for this week is uh, my new favourite sort of popular guru is a guy called Naval Ravikant. Oh yes. And yeah. if anyone who and we can put this in the show notes, anyone who who would like to experience the full you know ex, the the full joy of Naval Ravikant, who is like kind of like a Charlie Munger for the millennial generation. Uh, he's interviewed in the Joe Rogan um, show. Joe, Joe Rogan podcast is excellent. Joe Rogan podcast, yeah. and this one's currently had about two and a quarter million views, but it's going to end up it's going to end up being way bigger than that yeah. because it's two hours of you know just one of the brightest people you will ever ever listen ever hear, and it's sort of lifestyle tips, uh, investment tips. It's the full package, oh, wow. but it's an absolute it's an absolute joy, and it's really turbocharged. So you're practically sort of sitting there taking notes. I've I've heard this twice now. I'll probably end up listening to this about a dozen times. It's that good. So it's uh, Naval Ravikant on the Joe Rogan experience. That's actually the next podcast I've got to listen to, funnily enough, on my list. So I'm really looking forward to that. Thanks, Tim. And so, Zach, what what have you got for us? Well, I just know, I suppose I'll go back to Glastonbury and just the uh, the Stormzy thing. I've never heard a note of this stuff, um, but I can see that he was being You racist. To... You racist, uh, Zach Mir. I've never hey, heard of no. Wash your mouth out with soap and water. I'm just old. I don't, I'm old. I don't listen to that sort of stuff anymore. Fascist. Uh, I caught you out on that one. Um, but no, just Stormzy with his um, his Union Jack uh, vest, stab vest, which was, which was uh, you know the stab vest. I mean, I thought that was absolutely uh, uh, actually on point. Absolutely, absolutely on. on point. I mean, that's can, can, can we have can we have a Khan free day? I know people are talking about a car free day. Now. Can we have a Khan free day in London? Well, I'd say I, would I, I totally agree with Trump on. Just one issue. Um, Stone cold that, loser. Stone cold. He is. I mean, that is just awful. I mean, that is. He's the worst. I mean, actually, there shouldn't even be a mayor of London. We managed to survive, but you know, from Dick Whittington to, to Ken Livingstone without one. And uh, I think that's uh, that was about right. So London, London should have a mayor. It's a, it's a European idea, which we should. Well, we've have. got a mayor, but unfortunately, it's a nightmare. Boom boom. Yeah, God. yeah, that's right. Here all day. <laughs> da da tush. <laughs> bing. Right. Okay. So my my um, media pick for this week is a Spanish horror film short from the 1970s. Uh, it's 37 minutes long, and it's called La Cabina. And uh, I think it was it was recommended by a, a friend of mine, but it was also recommended by Charlie Brooker, who's the writer, obviously, of the Black Mirror series who was on a podcast called Script Notes, which features Craig Mazin, who's the writer of Chernobyl. So, ah, yeah. okay. So I've been I'd actually been listening to John August and Craig Mazin on a podcast called Script Notes for a very long time. So I was very aware of, of them and their work. But it's Craig Mazin's name's like just shot through the stratosphere now because he's he's the guy who's written Chernobyl. And um, so on this show, it sort of had a package of everything that I, I liked. 
I had Charlie Brooker talking about Black Mirror, and and then he'd recommended this film that a friend of mine had recommended so long ago, and I'd forgotten about it, and it just came back. So I had to watch it. It's on YouTube. It's called La Cabina. It's a short horror film, 70s. Is it, is it, is it scary? Uh, it has a scary element to it, but it, it's basically the premise is a telephone box appears in the middle of a square, and um, a man goes in to make a phone call and gets it gets trapped and the door just closes and it just goes on from there it's only 37 minutes long um so it's so it is a short um but yeah i I just thought i think it would have had a a greater impact at the time of it i mean it's apparently i don't know zach whether you've heard of it given your your ties to to spain but it is apparently a cult film in in spain have you have you ever heard of it heard of it it's sort of, uh, as I say, it rings, it rings a bell, but no, I'm not quite, I'll, I'll actually have to look at it and see whether, yeah. Uh, yeah. What, you know, the one that I'm uh, thinking of is, is actually uh, uh, that, but uh, it's sort of, it's, it does sound familiar, but anyway, there we are. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll look at it. So that's my pick for this week. So, so on behalf, of, behalf of all the millennials listening, phone box, what's that, granddad? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well, look, Zach, so good to have you on the show. Thank you so much for coming. And obviously, we're going to have to have to have you back again. Just let us know when you've got some strong ideas, and you, the door's always open for you. So Thank thanks you. again, and uh, and thanks to my co-host Tim Price, as always. And thank, thank you, you thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. Cheers. So Zach, are you willing to put money on this no Brexit call? Because I'm, I feel like facing you up. Money on, money on Hunt being. Uh, I'd like to do seventy-two was uh, for, for Hunt. It's not uh, going to happen. Not going to happen in a million years. I'll I bet you all the money in the world that it's not going to happen. Well, that's what I've been told. But I just, it just you know, um, but I, it's, yeah. Well, there's that, and then there's also that. There's no Brexit, so that, that that's not going to happen either. So. Well, well, I'd be happy to take you up on on what particular the, 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 matter. The, well, I suppose the the the, the, the hunt no Brexit uh, double must be must be quite well rewarded. I think. Okay, so how, how, how about, about how, how about a little a meal, wager? The cost of a meal and the cost of a meal and drink. Well, let's, over, let's do something. Over. How about something? Um... Yeah, you'll have to have it at like four o'clock in the morning. But uh... <laughs> brilliant. Well, I'm still rolling, so this is going to be in the podcast. So. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Well, there we go then. So, uh, the price the price of a meal for three, uh, no holds barred, all the trimmings. Uh, <laughs> I don't at, at, a ta- at, a, at a time of the winner's choosing. <laughs> at a venue of the winner's choosing. Blimey. That's, uh... so, what, so, what was the bet? That Hunt will come in and then there'll be no Brexit? Yeah, well, that's that's your take. And I, I'm going for Boris and Brexit. So No, there's no... there's no. I, actually, I'd rather go against you than, um, you know... Um, but anyway... Well, you could have just a straight bet then, if that's what you want. Say, like, hundred quid, hundred quid. There we go. Hundred quid. That's a lot of money. <laughs> it is, but you know, fifty more quid, ten, fifty more quid, fifty quid. I'm more has of a ten person myself. No, it has, to, it has to be meaningful because you need to encourage oh, your okay. patience. Okay, how about you've got you either of you have got to print an apology to the other person for being wrong on Twitter because you both got. Yeah, I like I like them apples. Yeah, because you've got a lot of you've got a, you've got a lot of followers, both of you. So that that would be interesting. How about that, Zach? That's then it's not money. Or are you going to go for I the mean, fifty I, quid? Yeah, I, I've got there's two things: the Jamie Hunt to win, which which I just I think something's going to happen to 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 Boris in between now and the time of the, of the vote. 
uh, some ghastly thing will come out about him or something like that. And uh, but no Brexit, there's just no way. I mean, I'm more no Brexit. I'm more more on. You know, I mean that's. That well, just bet probably... on that then. Just bet on that. Yeah. Fifty quid or, yeah. or Twitter, a Twitter apology or something. Or both. Yeah. Fifty you... quid, no Brexit by when? Thirty-first uh, of October, oh, or, right. or rather the first of November. Okay, I'll do that. And we'll, we'll uh, no. and we'll, shake. We'll... Yeah, you're done. You're done, sir. All right. Yeah. I'd, I'd love. I would actually love to, to bet on Hunt, but I don't know how to how to sort of make that. You know. I mean, it's just a straight bet, isn't it? It's just a seven to two. You know. There, there was thing. there was one final thing that I wanted to mention with regard to that. Um, someone who I really respect in terms of market calls and opinion is Simon Corkwell or Evil Knievel, as he writes in the uh, Master Investor magazine. And he, he did an about face on Boris Johnson. And I wasn't really sure why. I don't know what that was all about. He was pro and then suddenly changed. And I, do, do you know what, what suddenly caused that view to, to, to reverse? No, I think he's just revealed himself with that... Uh... That whole sort of uh, the the uh, the argument and the picture and everything else. He just he, he's too accident prone. He just he, he's a clown. He is a clown. And uh, I, I I would I think that let's just say you know that I would I would bet on Hunt being uh, winning the thing. I would actually I think it, it's it's it w- it's not mad to bet on Hunt being uh, being beating Boris somehow. Mm. Um, I put it this way: if I if we speak in a month's time and I'm right, um, I think you know you would you. Probably, I'd have to be worshipped as a god. I think I mean, that would be the thing because it's, <laughs> but it, no, because because it, it, it's something which uh, is a genuinely difficult call. Mm. Oh but yes. I can't. I, I know can't what you're saying. See, I, I can't saying. see, but it, it's something that could happen. But it looks so unlikely. But it could. It's not a total. It's not like you're saying. You know, like uh, it, there is an element of something in there that he he, he could actually win it. Um, mm. Can't you know? So I think that's a fascinating one. Um, because the, I just think the momentum of the last 30 years is that you can't have somebody like Boris uh, or a, you know, a Brexiteer winning. Mm. It just can't happen. It doesn't happen. We're not in that universe. But in, but in that case, the <coughs> Conservative Party basically uh, uh, faces extinction. If, uh, if, 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 if Hunt gets it. it. It's extinction either way. Yeah, that may be the case. I mean, I, I don't dispute that. It's gone. Mm. I mean, there's no way because you've got, you've got such... You know, they're, they're so on that, you know, the half of it's the Lib Dem party anyway. So uh, it's polarized as well. So you've got the weak, the, 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 the left wing people have become totally Lib Dem, like the, the Heseltine and, and uh, Ken, uh, Kenneth Clark. And the right wing is, is just, it's it also, with, you, you, the right wing of the Tory party is now outside the realms of polite uh, conversation. You know, they, they, you can't be Thatcherite anymore. It's, you know, because it's anti-immigration, it's anti um, you know, it, it's it's uh, not politically correct. They're out. I mean, it, it's just become the, you know it's become the national front now. I mean, it's it's, it's you can't have that anymore. So let's so, so so let's call it. So you're saying that so the bet is fifty quid that there will be no Brexit by by October. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's it. Right. But there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. Okay, okay, and, and nothing nothing on the Jeremy Hunt thing. The Jeremy Hunt is for me to put a tenner, you know, Labrooks or something. That's right. all it is. Right. So. Right. Which I will do, which I will do. Right. Um, but it's just like that. I mean, I, I, I don't think there's anything to be gained from that bet, but because it, it just it sounds so ridiculous. Mm. Uh, it's more ridiculous than Trump was. Mm. Yeah, it's just completely. Uh, the, one, so the, one we haven't, the one we haven't discussed is the likelihood of a Corbyn government. I, that, that, that's my bet. That's my bet. Oh, well. okay. Yeah. Okay. So right. I'm, you know, I'm no, no Brexit, Corbyn and Hunt. 
And I'm, that, 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 really is, that really is a trifecta, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I wasn't thinking of throwing myself out of a tall building. <laughs> <laughs> so I am now. <laughs> But no, the, but these but these things are what fascinate. I mean, the, the, these things always fascinate me to try and you know predict the future from that from that type of you know with the information you have and yes. the type and also yes. and also going against what you know the, what you're supposed to think is it's it's a, it's a skill you need in the financial markets. Sure, but I suppose in, in you know which which I'm sure Tim does all the time, um, going against the grain there. But going against grain here is much more difficult because there's an emotional aspect as well. You don't really care whether you're. You know, German bonds or Japanese bonds, but you do care whether Boris wins or Hunt wins or what. Well, you know, the, the other th- the other thing to it is the timing, because I mean, you're right that I mean, we all we do is buy out of favour stuff, so unpopular stuff. But the reality is, although I think probably the majority of the, the, the bets or investments have worked, bloody hell, you sometimes need to wait for two or three years before they work. So, and and so obviously to an extent, there's not much difference between being early and being wrong. Yeah, this thing could be that. Uh, Boris becomes prime minister, and then you know uh, he's, he loses the election. Then Hunt becomes prime minister. Hunt becomes leader of the Conservative Party. Um, is, right. is against Corbyn. So there's a little bit of a, a thing there. But I, you know, I think Hunt is even if you. Do, I mean, I'm a unless I'm a more I'm a Boris type person. A Boris, you know, the politics there. But Hunt is by by far the proper. It's a proper prime minister material. I mean, he's a safe pair of hands. He's a normal. He's a you know. A, he's Prime Minister material, Boris isn't. Yeah, but at the end of the day, there is only one issue in in all of our <laughs> political discourse, and it's Brexit. So it's the the, the reason I have such difficulty with with um, Hunt is that it's it's quite clearly he's a Remainer, and there's no there's no dispute about that. And the reality is, you know, one side won, one side lost. So the idea you can have a kind of compromise is just absurd. It's like saying, well, well, I think as I described it, it's like you know you can vote for black or you vote for white. Well, white won, but we're not getting grey. Yeah, but they, yeah, but the, the the Tory party liked somebody who was a Remainer pretending that she was going to deliver Brexit, and that's what Hunt was is effectively doing. It's a very strange, you know. It's a it's just, a very strange. Just, rem, just remind me, did the Conservative Party actually vote for Theresa May, or was it? Because I don't remember. I just can't recall the terms under which she came to office. I've, I've lost that in my mind. Was, was that was that put out to the members as well, uh, or was it just a stitch up in Parliament? Literally can't remember that now. It's too much, too long. Because I don't, I don't remember this, this, this whole, you know, this, this whole cavalcade thing happening back then. Yeah, I remember what's the face <laughs> getting stitched up after having said something about children, uh, which <coughs> just got massively abused, and then she fell out, and then sort of Theresa May kind of ended up sort of by default. She, she wasn't she was like anyone's like, photo. Like, she was just a, she was just a survivor. The process. Yeah, she was just like uh, what did Claudius found in the cupboard type thing, you know. Yeah, uh, I think that it was that kind of stuff. You know, there's they found the stammering buffoon in the cupboard. Um, but she was worse than that, I think, actually. Um, but no, but, but she came with with the thing with where she united the party in a way because the Remainers knew that she was a Remainer, and the Brexiteers uh, liked to think that she was going to deliver them Brexit. They couldn't believe that she would lie to them. I couldn't believe somebody could literally come up with a bare-faced Brexit in Brexit and lie. So here's just one thing for you before we wrap up for, for real. And it's, uh, I've discussed this with a few people. Um, you'll find it on my timeline, but I can happily send you the documents in question. There is a piece that came out that I saw on Twitter a couple of weeks ago called Duplicitous Leaders. And I think its source is a guy called Dr. Sorry, Reverend Philip Foster. And I, was, I approached this guy and I said, could you send me the other material to which you allude? And he sent it to me. 
And on the back of that, because it talks about how Theresa May was basically negotiating in private with Merkel, oh, and then yes. sort of stitched everybody up and sort of, you know, basically got an agreement and then just, just wrote roughshod over the cabinet and didn't tell them, but they obviously leaked out to the rest of Europe. On the back of that, I'm satisfied within my own level of political competence to conclude that Theresa May has committed treason and would be perfectly willing to, let's say, be involved in some form in a crowdfunded treason trial for her. But uh, I discussed it with some people from briefings for Brexit and they said, well, you can't. I appreciate the, the, the strength of feeling, but it would be opening a Pandora's box and blah, 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 blah. The, where I'm coming from is that Pandora's box has already been opened because it was opened by that twat Marcus Ball who tried to crowdfund a, a trial against Boris Johnson for lying during the campaign. Uh, and that got thrown out of court ultimately. But I am minded to, I am minded to believe that you could A, raise money uh, by basically disgruntled Brexiteers and B, find a sympathetic lawyer. So my question to you is quite straightforward. Uh, if there were a crowdfunded trial of Theresa May for treason, would you conceptually or financially support that trial? It would never, it would never happen because the judiciary would never allow, uh, would never go for a, a Remainer a being a, a Remainer, a case against a Remainer. It can only have a case against a Brexiteer. Hence Gina Miller and hence the other, that, uh, the other guy who was against Boris Johnson. The judiciary is only on the side of uh, Remain. So the, don't you think, it would, be, don't you think it would be fun to try? <laughs> it would be fun to lose that money, I suppose. But, yeah. so, but if yeah. it's crowdfunded, it's it's multiple people money rather than just one person's yeah. money. No, no, I, but it, there's just no chance. The, 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 the courts would just say there's no case to answer here. I mean, you, the, the, the better treason trial would, be, would have been John Major with Maastricht. And obviously, even well, he's, he's, Ed, he's, he's still Heath. alive. He's still alive. Ed, Ed, Edward Heath was would be the be, was obviously the, the the master of that. So, um, but I suppose with the vote afterwards, he was let off. But you'd always have him uh, disinterred and then hang his corpse from Tower Bridge. Oh, the Crom the Cromwell thing. Yes, yes, yeah. that would be. Uh, yes. Um, well, that's a nice note to finish, isn't it? Well, <laughs> um, yeah, so if you're like, still listening, <laughs> the other the other ending was a bit more fun, I think. Actually. Well, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure we've still got people, some people listening. If you are still listening, it's great well, to have you with us. Get alive. Get <laughs> alive. It's sunny out there. What are you doing? <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks, chaps. Absolutely excellent. Uh, just... share your, do you want to share your Twitter handle, uh, Zach? Uh, Zach's Traders Cafe. Z-A-K-A. Excellent. The Traders Cafe. Zach's Traders Cafe. Brilliant. And thanks, thanks again. Cheers. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.